0: People all around us are desperate for hope. Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chappell challenges us to continue sharing the gospel with those in need.
1: How many of you are like me? Something's going on in your life, men, and you need God's help with it. Well, I'll tell you right now, you cannot be wrong with your wife and right with God. And you cannot be at odds with your wife and get down on your knees and have the effectual prayer life that you need to have. And God says, I want you to honor your wife, that your prayers be not hindered.
0: The world is changing, but as Christians, our directive stays the same. God has not called us to compromise or complain about the culture. He has called us to continue. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chapel. Pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and President of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. In our series, Continue, we will discover key areas of our life that God wants us to continue developing through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. People all around us are desperate for answers and we must continue to take the light of the gospel to those lost in culture's darkness. And now, here's Pastor Paul Chapel with
1: Part 2 of a message called continuing in godly living you see the bible says the outward man perisheth but the inward man can be what renewed day by day and you see all of us if we're honest all of us the outward man is perishing Uh, you've got an ache here you've got an ache there this isn't working that's not working how many of you when you get up in the morning it's like rice krispies snap crackle pop and i don't know about the rest of you but it takes me a minute just to kind of get going you know what i'm saying And the Bible says the outward man is perishing, but did you know that your inward man can get in awe and in love with Jesus all over again, and you can be renewed in the inner man? It doesn't matter how old you are. You can love Jesus with a childlike love if you just want to start over with loving God in that way. The inward man is renewed day by day. You remember that story when God sent Samuel to find a new king for Israel? Saul had grieved God, and God took his hands off of Saul. And Samuel, he went to find that king, and here came all of David's brothers, and they were lined up. And Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest brother. And Eliab was tall and handsome and Very impressive. And no doubt Samuel, with his human reasoning, thought, this is the guy. This is the next king of Israel. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, nor the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh, say it with me, on the heart. The Lord looketh on the heart. And, and, and sometimes people take that the wrong way, and they go, I can dress however I want, and I can be as immodest as I want, or as grungy as I want, because God doesn't look on the outward, he looks on the heart. Well, that's a little bit of a misinterpretation of this passage, okay? Just because God looks on the heart doesn't give you permission to never bathe or take care of yourself. That's not the idea here. But the point is this, God does look on the heart. And in the Roman world, the emphasis was always on the external. But God says, I want you to emphasize the internal. Because the outward beauty is corruptible. But secondly, the inward beauty is not corruptible. Look at verse 4. It says, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price. You see, this inward beauty is a lasting beauty, the hidden man of the heart. And and we want to make sure that our heart is right. Uh, The Bible says in Proverbs thirty-one thirty, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The word fear simply means to be in awe of the Lord. It means to have reverence for the Lord. And it simply says this, yeah, there's a lot of people out there in the world and they've got that outward look. But God says, somebody that fears me, somebody that knows me, somebody that walks with me, that's who's going to be praised in the long run. Her children will rise up and call her blessed because of her godliness. And oh, what a wonderful testimony. I thank the Lord for the hundreds of godly women at Lancaster Baptist Church who live these principles out in their lives. So we see inward beauty is lasting. Inward beauty is peaceful. Notice it says, of a meek and quiet spirit, which are of great price. A peacefulness. In other words, out there in that Roman world, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of vitriolic talk. There's a lot of ugly blogs. God says, hey, when you come home, ladies, give something that's peaceful. Give something that's quiet. Because God says, that's of great price. You say, well, I've got something we need to talk about. All right, pray for the right moment. You say, I've got something that's under my skin. All right, just pray that God gives you the moment to deal with that in the right way. One man was so frustrated at always being corrected by his wife, and he said, the next time, I'm going to have a comeback. And so uh, the moment finally arrived, and he had his comeback. He said to his wife, he said, you know, even a broken clock is right once a day, and his wife looked at him and said, twice. (laughs) You know, you just can't always get it right with everybody, can you? But inward beauty is peaceful. And then thirdly, inward beauty was practiced. Now notice this in verse 5. It says, for after this manner in the old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being subject unto their own husbands. You see, uh, this was the practice of holy women. Uh, I think of one, one uh, beautiful poem or writing that I put into your notes, and it says this, Lord, I am willing to receive what you give to lack what you withhold to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to be what you require. And Lord, if others are to be your messengers to me, I am willing to hear and heed them to heed what they have to say. You see, God wants us as his people to have that spirit, to accept what he is doing, and to surrender to his will. So we see the priority of a strong testimony. And then we see, secondly, the priority of a spiritual heart. Strong testimony comes from a spiritual heart. But then I want you to see, finally, the priority of spiritual leadership. Because as we learn how to continue, it's going to take leadership at the baseline. It's going to take men in the home who will provide leadership now many single moms are providing that and i understand that but let's see what the bible says to a husband this morning please notice it says in verse seven likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered now I know we've spoken to the ladies, but God now turns his attention to the husbands. And he says, first of all, I want you to provide spiritual leadership in the home. And and God wants you as a husband to provide a godly leadership in the home. Too many times, ladies are having to drag their husband to church. Too many churches are led by ladies simply because men won't step up and provide leadership. Too many homes are led by ladies today, not because they're so bossy or because they're so outgoing, because so many men are very passive and lazy in the matters of leadership. Yes, it does take time to read the Bible together. Yes, it does take time to speak to a teenager. It does take time uh, to have uh, some uh, family activity or a date with your teenage daughter or time with your teenage son. But America is hurting today because of fathers who have abdicated their responsibility. And God calls you here to leadership. And notice, first of all, he says, if you're going to lead, you need to seek knowledge of your wife. You need to learn how to dwell with her according to knowledge. God says, you're going to have to grow. Every day we need wisdom. Lord, show me the needs of my wife today. Show me how I can respond to those needs. I need your wisdom. James 1.5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. And so we must ask for wisdom. Now, for example, studies have shown that wives who carry a little extra weight live longer than husbands who say something about it. (laughs) So there's a lot of wisdom to be gained in the marital life. You see, in the Roman world, a woman was viewed upon as just a piece of property, and, and, and women were not viewed at all as, as an equal partner in this matter of marriage. But Christianity changed that perspective in the Roman world. And contrary to what the liberal mindset is, some liberals say wherever Christianity goes, people are oppressed and so forth and so on and the exact opposite is true wherever Christianity has gone, orphanage has popped up and hospitals have popped up and, and God has shown that a woman is not a piece of property but she is an heir of the life we call eternal life and the Bible says concerning your wife, dwell with her according to knowledge you see and every man here needs to ask God for that knowledge I heard of a man that walked into a flower shop and he said to the lady, he said, I need some flowers for my wife. And she said, what kind do you need? He said, I really don't know. I just, I'm not sure what kind I need. And she said, well, maybe we can do this. She said, "Uh, why don't you tell me exactly what have you done wrong? And then she tailored the flower request according to his transgression. You see, we all need wisdom on how to rightly lead in our homes. And so seek knowledge, get the knowledge of the Word of God. Ask your wife what her needs are this week, learn how to be a help. Secondly, uh, we must seek to honor our wives. The Bible commands us to honor our wives. Now look at verse seven. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Now, ladies, don't elbow. I know how this goes, all right? So we're just, we're just learning. We're slow learners. But the Bible says giving honor unto the wife. The word honor speaks of esteeming her. It speaks of giving her dignity. It speaks of, it speaks of treating her with high value. For some of you, treating her as well as you treat your bicycle, your motorcycle, what is it that you love? Your gun. God says it's time that you saw your wife as your most precious friend in life and treating her better than you treat all that other stuff. All the stuff that you pamper with, all the stuff that's so important to you. All right? And so why should a husband honor his wife? Let me give you three quick reasons. First, because the Bible speaks of her as the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, before you take offense at that, let me help you understand. This does not mean that you are intrinsically weaker intellectually or even spiritually. In fact, many times, uh, if if every husband in here was honest, he'd say, my wife was more spiritual than I was at that moment. My wife is a godly wife. She practiced grace when I would not have practiced grace. It's not spiritual speaking about the fact that you are somehow inferior to your husband, the primary reference of this phrase is to the physical nature of a woman. And in most cases, there is an instance to be shown here where the wife physically is going to need the assistance of her husband. And God says, give her the honor. Don't treat her like someone that's just your uh, beacons mover that moves stuff around. But you help her and you show honor to her in those cases. And she is the weaker vessel. Secondly, you want to honor your wife because she is a fellow heir of salvation. Look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, simply stated... Each of you are equally accepted in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus shed His blood To cover your sin You are now joint heirs together In Jesus Christ The Bible says Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither bond nor free There is neither male nor female For ye are all one in Christ In other words God doesn't have one value on the male soul And one value on the female soul God says she is as important She is as valued to me As you are to me And I shed my blood blood for her and I want you to treat her as an equal part of the family of God right and I don't know what it is about sometimes guys will go to work and they're all nicey-nicey to a secretary or all friendly to somebody at church and then they treat their wife like she's something less And God says, I want you to honor your wife because she's a joint heir in Jesus Christ. She is one that I shed my blood for. Then thirdly, and get a hold of this, fellas. Some of you have seen it before, but look at the last part of verse 7. That your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. Now, in the Old Testament, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, then my prayers are hindered. The Lord will not hear me. But here it says, if you're not right with your wife, your prayers are hindered. Now, how many of you are like me? Something's going on at work. Something's going on with the family. Something's going on in your life, men, and you need God's help with it. Anybody? Or you got it all wrapped up. How many of you need God's help with something, all right? I do. Well, I'll tell you right now, you cannot be wrong with your wife and right with God. And you cannot be at odds with your wife and get down on your knees and have the effectual prayer life that you need to have. And God says, I want you to honor your wife that your prayers be not hindered. Matthew 18, 19. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So God says, I want unity in that family. The world all around you, yeah, it's angry, it's falling apart, but we got to have a place. Where we can come with dignity and respect and love, and where we can encourage one another in the home, and then he speaks to the Christian community at large. And as we close, notice verse eight. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brother, and be pitiful, be courteous. Now, what do we see here? We see the scope going from the family out to the community, and, and God says to the Christian community, "Look." The world out there is hateful. Nero is hateful. The Roman soldiers are hateful. Taxes are high. Everyone's at each other's throats. But Christians need to be different in this situation. And in the community, there should be a testimony. And when they look at the Christians, they should see the difference that Jesus Christ has made. And nothing is more harmful to the Christian name and to the testimony of Christ than when Christians act against the Bible. The devil loves it when an evangelist or a pastor falls into sin. The devil loves it when a Christian family breaks up. The devil loves it when Christian teenagers take drugs. You know why? Because the devil can say to the whole world, see, it doesn't work it's not real at all that's why god says i want my church to be real at the baseline and he gives us six characteristics and the first one is unity he says i want you to be of one mind i want you to be of one mind and let me just tell you nothing more ridiculous that when one christian disagrees with another christian and they go to their unsaved friends at work and talk about it how's that going to help this guy to ever get get saved God says we need to have a unity. We need to pray through these things and and be of one mind. Uh, And then he says we need to have compassion. Having your hurt in my heart. When the world looks at the church that they would see us as being people of compassion. I think of our bus ministry that every week is bringing hundreds of children into Lancaster Baptist Church, children whose parents are many times strung out on drugs, and and children coming from difficult backgrounds, and they're hearing about Jesus, and they're, they're receiving instruction, they're receiving meals and encouragement, and they're receiving the compassion of the church, and this is what God wants the community to show forth. And then thirdly, he says, having compassion, but also notice, love as brethren. This word brethren speaks of that fraternal Philadelphia love, loving one another as brethren, and, and encouraging one another, and showing the love uh, that we have for the Lord and for one another. A while back, I bought Terry a little gift, and she later told me that the gift itself did not mean as much to her as the way that I looked her in the eye when I gave it to her. And I thought about getting a refund for the gift, but then I thought that could blow the whole thing, so but you know it's not just a gift it's the heart with which it's given God says I want my people to be characterized by love what did Jesus say that, that our, his disciples would be known by their love one for another may I just say this to you everyone's different in the Christian family but there ought not to be anybody that is a believer that you can't say I love them and the Lord I want God's best for them grace to them and then notice the fourth word is pity, and, and you see that here. Uh, it says here in verse number eight, "Be pitiful." Now, some of you say, "Well, my husband is. He got that one right." That's not what we're talking about when we say pitiful. We don't mean uh, we don't mean ornery or terrible. The word pitiful means full of pity, full of pity. God says, "I want my church to be full of pity. I want them to be tender-hearted. I want them to be easily touched and easily moved." It's amazing to me how many hurts come to Lancaster Baptist Church. People who've had the hurt of a family separation. People who've had the hurt of illness. People who've had the hurt of losing a job. The list goes on and on. Drugs are epidemic in this society. And if we're not careful... The worldly attitude is, well, you, you deserve what you have. But God says, I want you to have pity on someone whose life is broken. I want my church to be a place that makes a difference. And then he says, fifthly, I want you to have courtesy one towards another. Look at verse number eight. Be courteous. Be courteous. Let's say that together. Be. be courteous. Now, when you're out in the parking lot and someone cuts you off, remember this one on the way out of church, you know. Be courteous. D.L. Moody said, be humble or you'll stumble. You know, this ought to be a place of courteousness and it ought to be taught. I love our teenagers at Lancaster Baptist and we have so many young men that are just gentlemen. And I watch these 16 and 17-year-old boys open the door for, for someone. I, I, I watch them as they uh, share a hymn book. I watch them as they're showing courteousness. You don't see that out in the world. And it's a blessing to see that with young people. And then notice the final word is the word blessing. Look in verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary-wise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. And i got to tell you, the world's really good at... Tearing one another down, railing for railing. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll tell you, your mother. Oh? The world's just good at that kind of stuff. God says, Here's what I want you to be good at. Look at it in verse number nine. But contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. God says, I want you to be good at blessing people. Now, to be truthful, we have to speak to issues that are difficult. But God says, I want you to learn how to bless people. Last Sunday night, we learned one of the phrases that Christians used in the first century when they saw each other, specifically at Ephesus, uh, the Christians said, grace to you, grace to you. And God wants us as Christians to pray for grace and mercy upon one another. And, and God wants us to learn how to give blessings one to another. Now, we're here talking about how to continue. The world around us disintegrates relationally. God says, I want your relationships in Christ to continue. The priority of a strong testimony. He said, I want that to start in the family. And he said, secondly, I want you to have the priority of a spiritual heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. And thirdly, I want you to see the priority of spiritual leadership. Husbands, as your wife has that heart, as she's growing, I want you to grow. And there might be a husband here this morning that has never yet been one to the Lord Jesus Christ. There might be a man here that if you died today, you do not know that you would spend eternity in heaven. Many people spend their life in church and you ask them, do you know if you died today that you would spend eternity in heaven? And they say, I think so, I hope so. But it's interesting what it says in verse 1. Notice this as we close. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be... What's the next word say? One. One. Sometimes we use the term soul winning. You see, people are one to Christ. You say, well, the Holy Spirit's the soul winner. Absolutely. But apparently, he uses human instrumentality. If you're with me on that, say amen. In other words this wife by her godly testimony can win someone over to the lord jesus christ and there might be someone here today and you've been watching your wife you've been watching your husband you've been watching some friend that you know and you see jesus in them and you're not sure that jesus is in you and today would be that day when you need to say i've had some religion but i'm not sure that if I died, I would go to heaven. I want to come to Jesus by faith, and I want to be saved by faith today. Some of you men, you're so fortunate to have a wife who lives out these verses, but it's time for you to step up and take that spiritual leadership and receive Jesus Christ as your savior today. And I want to encourage you today, if you don't know the Lord, that you would be one to the Lord today by the love of Jesus who shed his blood for your sin. I want to encourage you today. The foundations are stumbling and crumbling, whether it be at the state or whether it be at the federal level, but God says in the midst of all of that, with Nero in charge, I want you to have something healthy at the baseline. I want your family, your Christian relationships to provide the nurture that you're going to need with all that's happening around you. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor
0: of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chapel on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchapel.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's paulchapel.com. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today, where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com and thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.